What's long and hard and will be turned on by me this weekend? The Premier League season, of course. Those meaty boys returning with a round of fixtures headlined by Spurs Chelsea at Wembley. Woof. We round up that and all the other news from the world of football, get more movie cameos, and as the Nations League concludes for now, we round up the final games from Glasgow to Gelsenkirchen. All that plus live science with rock, paper, scissors. It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Here in the pod, James Horncastle. Happy to see you. Still got your hair, James. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Jul- Julien Laurence was in on Monday and he said uh, that you often mention that you feel that if you ever lost your hair, you wouldn't be so good a broadcaster. <laughs> That's what he says. Jules is trying to get me to shave my hair. Really? Yeah. He finds all these kind of different bets to make with me to, to have it happen. Oh. Remember that year when Roma won their first 10 yes. games in the league and if they won, would win the Scudetto, I had right. to shave my head, which I didn't agree to, but Jules was going to do. So. I see. Thank, Thank you, that Jules. was that you'd have to have Jovinho's hairstyle. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. Raphael Honigstein. Who, not, not far off that. Who wasn't such a good broadcaster for a summer, but is now really good again. <laughs> Thank you so much, James. <laughs> and also joining us today, the voice of Vicarage Road and top reporter for BBC Sport and Premier League TV, if you're abroad, Emma Saunders. Hello. Emma, are you about to have your hair cut? Is that right? In, a, in an extraordinarily topical kind of... I, I am, yes, but um, hopefully right. it doesn't bear any impact to me as, as a broadcaster, well, as an announcer. Yeah. yeah. This is all because of Marin Fellaini. His, his <laughs> new. Have you got better or worse, James, since you lost your hair? I, I don't know. What do you think? I think you're still as good as ever. Oh, no one, thanks. No, no one thanks. can remember the post. <laughs> Post-ball James. <laughs> right, let's begin eh, by putting the Nations League to bed. Monday, Holland became the final side to book their place in this summer's tournament, next summer's tournament in Portugal, joining England, Switzerland and Portugal there. This thanks to that remarkable 2-2 draw away in Gelsenkirchen. Uh, Rafa, I imagine you you watched this. After 19 minutes, it looked like you know Germany were on the road to recovery. I was there. Um, right, OK. And... Uh, there, there was even a, a wave uh, doing the rounds mm-hmm. on the ground. Um, the crowd, who'd been very, very quiet, had woken up and everyone's thinking, OK, this is a lovely end to what has been a horrible year. But then that kind of um, almost inevitable crash and uh, spoiler in, in the form of Virgil van Dijk as a makeshift number nine. So he gets Ch- past a note saying... Go up front. Very Dutch move this, isn't it? It's total <laughs> Throw the centre-back forward. Total football. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Raphael van der Vaart, I think, found, found the note afterwards working right. for um, Dutch television as an expert. It's um, great journalism. Uh, yeah, Germany couldn't cope with it. Um, they played five at the back without the ball. It looked totally solid. The only chance, in inverted commas, that the Dutch creator was a Niklas Sula header that nearly went in for an own goal. I think Manoloy had one shot to save uh, in 85 minutes. But then Quincy Promise comes, um, takes advantage of some really slack defending and, and bad sort of midfield passing, and then they go route one and. Lomelijk voorzetten, ja, natuurlijk. En de kans en de goal! Ja! Virgil van Dijk maakt die 2-2! Met een belangrijke goal! Van Dijk scores with that wonderful uh, volley to, to kind of spoil it for Germany, but something quite strange has happened, which is for the first time that I can remember, really, in Germany people have said, the results don't really matter. Oh. 
it doesn't really matter. We, yes, we've been relegated. It's a bit embarrassing. It's a bit annoying. We'll be playing pretty ropey teams next time this Nation Leagues comes around. But much more important is that Löw has learned this lesson. He started playing the youngsters. He started putting more pressure on the World Cup winners to perform. And the football looks quite decent. So let's see where we are at Euro 2020. They've so- kind of completely put aside all kind of the relevance of the Nations League and what it could have done in terms of the actual results and just said, no, the performances have been okay. Let's just look look to the future. Okay, and the future is still very much riding that love train. Um, it's slowed down a little bit, uh, but, you know, considering, stay, considering that he's overseen the worst World Cup in, in German history, uh, the worst calendar year in German history, the first ever relegation in the history of the national team and Germany dropping out of pot one Mm. when it comes to the seeding for the qualifiers. He's actually remarkably unscathed by virtue of A, historic results, B, the view that he's learned the lesson and made the right decisions and the transition is well in the way, etc. And also, crucially, uh, Ferdy, that there is no real big name waiting in the wings that people would say, oh, if only this guy would, were to take over, then we'd be so much better. So he's he's there by default, uh, but also by just having still enough credit in the bank. Meantime, the Netherlands continue their remarkable resurgence under Ronald Koeman, their own uh, Das reboot, Das reclog, perhaps, in their case. I'm not sure what, what uh, the, the thing would be. You just come back from Amsterdam. They must be buzzing over there. I mean, even more than usual. Well, they weren't buzzing uh, when I left the right. bar that I was in mm. um, after 20 minutes when sort of Germany were already 2-0 up and looked like they were going to completely run away with it. But look, I think Kuman has done a remarkable job in, what, since March. In a, a, I don't think anyone really realistically thought this team was going to avoid relegation when it was in a group with the last two World Cup winners. And you've got this kind of strange blend of players, really, um, with some very encouraging, but I still think quite raw talents in, in Delict and and Frankie de Jong. And Ryan Babel. And, uh, and Ryan Babel with that incredible kind of pro-evo sort of hairstyle with the sort of dyed red, which is kind of Rodman-esque, mm. which I appreciate. Excellent. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, so uh, Netherlands will take their place in Portugal next June in the, the the final of the the Nations League. Germany drop into pot two. It'll be interesting to see who draws them in those Euro twenty twenty qualifiers. When's the draw for that going to be? December second. Yeah, in Dublin. Right. right okay. Yeah. Um, super. And of course, in the Nations League, they could be facing Scotland next time in League B because Scotland got promoted thanks to their three two win at home to Israel at uh, Hampden Park. They, they went behind, but then James Forrest continued his incredible form. He'd gone 26 games without scoring for his country, but popped up with a hat-trick here to make it five in, in 99 minutes. Slightly nervous finish. I'm not sure if you saw any of this. There was an Alan McGregor's save late on, but Scotland did it. Yes, over the line. I think they're now just two matches uh, away from their first Yeah. First major tournament in a couple of decades, I think. Since 1998, yeah. Yeah, so... So, you know, if they don't qualify for 2020 anyway, they have a playoff with the other League C winners, who are Finland, Norway and Serbia. Yeah, that's mm. right. So, effectively, they can get in through the back door, I think, really. Is well... You might put it. Yeah. Disappointing turnout, I thought, at Hampden Park. It yeah. was very cold there. So cold that the Israeli team gave their... Their coats to the mascots who were shivering. A wonderful gesture, James. It was lovely, wasn't The it? Nations League again, sort of coming together. Mm. It just brings out the best. In As football. we saw with Virgil van Dijk and, and the referee. Oh, that's true. After the Germany game as well. 
Yeah. Touching. Very much so. Literally. <laughs> Less happy news for Ireland and Northern Ireland, who both got relegated. Ireland subsequently sacking Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane. Yeah. Mutual consent, James. Not oh, sacking. my mistake. Yeah. Okay. Mick McCarthy apparently is a favourite oh, yeah? mm. to take over the, uh, the the Republic. That'd be interesting. And there's talk that Martin O'Neill may well get the Northern Ireland job when Michael O'Neill leaves, which will you know save money on changing the stationery and all that kind of thing. Matt Forbes, hello, says, does the way the Euro 2020 qualification stroke Nations League process is set up mean that a country from League D will definitely qualify? Is that not diluting the quality of the Euros? Well, this kind of relates to the Scotland point. Um, yeah, each league, each of the four tiers will send one team to the Euro 2020 tournament. Uh, so it, from pot four, sorry, from league four, you've got one of Georgia, Belarus, Kosovo and Macedonia. Kosovo, it's a remarkable story, It would be incredible, wouldn't mm. it? I mean, that would be fascinating. In League 3, we were at C, we already talked about that, that's the Scottish one. In League 2, the second tier, it's Ukraine, Sweden, Bosnia-Herzegovina and Denmark. Who saw Spain play Bosnia-Herzegovina? Did you I, see Alvaro Morata's extraordinary, extraordinary yes, miss yes, in that game? I did. Yeah. I think it's got to the point where you can't even laugh anymore, where it's more like watching something really horrible and you just you don't want actually want it to happen. Yeah, and he's such a sensitive type as well. Is I mean, he? It, yeah. I mean, these things, I mean, Sadie was talking about this in midweek. He's very, uh, he has a rare sensibilidad. Is that so right? Saying, yeah. Yeah, I feel rotten now for highlighting yeah, that. Please don't, James. <laughs> you're part of the problem, you say. I am. And whoever yeah. it was who put that video up on, on YouTube yeah. with Morata, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. yeah. Can I just answer Matt, Matt Forbes' um, question quickly? Oh, yeah. Does it yeah. dilute the etc.? Um, I don't think it makes that much of a difference because we have 24 teams. Um, we saw Albania qualify through the old um, system um, two years ago. I don't think that... Um, those Group D winners will necessarily drag down the overall quality by by a very noticeable amount. Um, as soon as you open it up to 24, you're always going to have a couple of those teams inside. Yeah, yeah freshen and, things up as well. Yeah, and to be honest, those teams actually did better than expected at the Euros. I remember, did Portugal not have to... Did they not qualify as the third place, yeah. the best third place team after Hungary and I think Aust- no, Austria were terrible in that group? I can't remember who else was in it. Right. Maybe Iceland. Producer Ben is, is making circular gestures oh, with his finger, which I think means keep going. This is great <laughs> stuff. So here's a question from Paul McIntosh. We keep hearing from the English media that the Nations League has been a great success. The cynic in me wonders, though, how much of that is because England did well, says Paul. How is the tournament being received across Europe, Rafa? Well, I mean... It was interesting you said that German, the German fans are saying these results don't matter. Yeah, is they that did. Because... But they might have changed their mind if Germany had won it. Mm. Um, I think it's one of those competitions, a bit like the Club World Cup or the Confed Cup, that when you're yourself involved and you're doing well, everyone does get excited. But mm. it's very easy if you're not involved or you're not doing well to just say, you know what, we don't really care. It's like the FA Cup. Basically. It's Schrodinger's uh, tournament. You know, it's really important, but at the same time, uh, really not relevant at all. Yeah, it's more like Schadenfreude's tournament with, with, with Germany doing really badly. Yeah, I mean, of course, that, that, that helps, I guess, from a... Um, global perspective that Germany continued their uh, decline but by and large I think it has worked for for one reason and that is the games have been meaningful if we'd seen those games with those teams being involved even if it comes to you know high profile clashes England playing Spain Germany playing Holland etc after 60-70 minutes those games would have completely fallen apart with 10 substitutes on each side in a friendly 
and then everybody thinking about the, the big qualifier against Montenegro or Serbia coming up mm. years later. And that hasn't happened. Those games have been proper games, even when you could say, you know, one or two teams perhaps were more invested than others. They've had a competitive nature. And well, I think that in itself was is such a big progress to what it used to be. And the the, the finale of, of England's last game, you were there, I think, no? Yes. The, the, the Croatia yes, game. I was. I have not the heard yeah, minutes. the noise inside Wembley. I've not heard it like that. Well, really, in my memory, with the exception of, you know, playoff finals and things like that. But internationally, even when you listen back to the commentary from um, various different outlets, you can hear the excitement, the passion inside the voice of the commentator and it's exactly what you just said Rafa because there was so much meaning behind this were you working there Emma, that night I was doing the um the fan zone beforehand oh, okay. outside and again you know sometimes two three hours of build-up um to to an international friendly it's not always the easiest task when trying to talk up a, a fixture which effectively means nothing but oh no, on Sunday we were giving it, this is winner takes all, revenge from the World Cup. Mm. There was a lot of interest in the fan zone. I think it's got to the point, we call the Premier League the domestic break now, surely. <laughs> International football's <laughs> got that good, Jay. It's a four-month Ste- steady domestic on. break. <laughs> steady on. Well, uh, Premier League returns, of course. Nice. Uh, one touch. Uh, have you seen some of Roma's social media over the, the sort of international <laughs> What have they been up to this <laughs> They've just been like putting sort of stick men. Like, yeah, pushing what, each other off buildings. <laughs> pushing yeah. the international break off yeah. the building. Um, uh, anyway, so yeah, well, the Premier League does return to spoil the fun this yes. weekend. We'll talk about some of the excitements that await in that after this... You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Premier League returns. So where were we? City were on top, Emma. Do you remember? I Who's do. behind them? It's Liverpool, is it? How many points? Oh, Two. testing me. They're both unbeaten after 12 games. So are Chelsea in third. But that might change this Saturday evening when they visit Spurs. Down at the bottom, Emma. Hmm. Seven teams, either in the bottom three or within a point of it. Fulham, as you say, bottom of the pile, two points behind Huddersfield with Cardiff 18th. Goal difference in, you know, the wrong side of that dotted line. Palace and Southampton for now on the other side of it. Ranieri, of course, debuting on the Fulham bench this weekend against Saints. Ooh, that's going to be a big one at Craven Cottage. Let's begin our preview of the action, though, with the Saturday tea time fixture. Have some Spurs Chelsea. Third and fourth, only one point between them after Chelsea got shut down by Everton in their last game, you remember, and Spurs beat Palace. Can Spurs shut Chelsea? Can they shut Jorginho down and all that the way that the Toffees did? Well, Spurs' form at Wembley has not been all that great so far this season. You look at their defeats, they've come against other top six rivals, what City and, uh, and Liverpool. They've got injuries. I think a number of their Argentine players um, are going to be late coming back as well from the international break. Probably won't be at the Enfield training ground until Friday. So I kind of think Spurs have got more problems than uh, than Chelsea going into into this game. Um, let's see what uh, what tune Sadie can get out of Hazard, who mm. hasn't scored in in eight since the start of October. Didn't have the best of times with Belgium over this international break. His side. 2-0 up, his brother, Torgan Hazard, scoring both goals against Switzerland. Then they lost 5-2. Um, but he played all but 15 minutes in both of their games. Mm. So, I mean, Sadi was complaining in that interview that we met uh, that we mentioned in Gazetta about how this period now is just playing every two days. 
and no time to train, mm. no time to work on game plan, and it's just hard. Mm. So, but I think Chelsea go into this, you know, particularly with Morata in that kind of form, James, as you mentioned, favourites. On fire. <laughs> uh, what about Harry Kane? Is he in good form, Emma? I can't work it out. He's, he's, he's developing a sort of Inzaghi-esque ability to actually not look very good but score goals. Yeah, I completely agree with that, actually. Um, I think it's going to be a bit of a weird game, actually. I don't think we're going to see sparks fly as much as we have done before um, between these two sides. Saying that, there's a lot at stake in this match. And I think because of that, we might see a draw. And for Sari, it's a bit of a test because they beat Arsenal early on, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, Second Chelsea. game, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. got the point against Liverpool. But yeah, he's just not had too many sort of stern tests yet. I'm just wondering whether Tottenham, I don't know, could they be the side to burst the bubble? I'm Spurs not sure. also got a very big game in midweek on their minds, which is Inter at, uh, at Wembley, which will kind of decide their their Champions League fate. Yeah. So, you know, and uh, is it the North London derby after that as it well? It is. <sighs> yeah. It's really tough for Spurs. I mean, if, if Sarri's complaining about <laughs> a tough few games, um, Spurs have got it much worse. But I agree with Emma to the extent, I think, that a game straight after the international break on a Saturday sometimes takes a bit of time going Players don't really know where they where they are. The tiredness sort of kind of just leaves their body halfway through the second half sometimes, and they have such tough opposition where they're going to be. There's going to be a lot of risk adversity, I think, uh, coming into the back of their minds. What Spurs have is the opposite of what Chelsea have. I think Spurs have a team that don't look as if they're playing good football, but they have goal scorers. Certainly, they have one in Harry Kane who doesn't need to get a lot of touches. And Chelsea, of course, have a team that play lovely stuff, keep the ball, but then lacking a bit of end product because of the aforementioned Avaro Morata finding it hard to score and Oliver Giroud not being much better. Mm. Well, the end result's quite similar. There's only one point between them. And yet, as you say, there's this very positive spin about Chelsea and it doesn't feel the same way about Spurs. This week, though, I mean, it's tough, but it could equally see Spurs absolutely kick on, really get the win back in their sails. A lot of players as well on their way back from injuries. Sanchez, Trippier, uh, Danny Rose and Vertonghen all heading back towards fitness. So, yeah, well, a victory here. Wouldn't that just give Spurs a lift? I think, though, with particularly Chelsea, if they're serious about challenging for a title, with Liverpool hosting Watford and Manchester City playing West Ham, That's true. aren't they? If they do drop points here, mm. suddenly that gap does get a bit wider and you sort of see Manchester City and Liverpool just taking that further step up the table whilst... Chelsea could get pegged back. So. Fair point. City are at the London Stadium earlier on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, they always struggle there. Yeah, it's the uh, <laughs> it's the last two Man City managers derby this, uh-huh. of course. And I had a funny feeling when I read the fixture. I thought, ooh, is this where City are going to come unstuck? And then I read recent results. 13 goals in their last three visits, conceding only one. Uh, when they've turned up at London Stadium. They've also won their last six games following an international break as Have well. they? So there's no let-up from... Although, City. no Benjamin Mendy, mm-hmm. possibly no Bernardo Silva, certainly no Kevin De Bruyne, mm-hmm. whereas West Ham have Mark Noble back and Andy Carroll is rated <laughs> 50-50 for a spot on the bench. And crucially, unlike Fellaini, he hasn't cut his hair. So, what do you think, Rafa? Am I being crazy here, suggesting that maybe the Hammers could... Spring a surprise? It's hard to see. I think West Ham have not been as shambolic as um, some people feared after their really disastrous start of the season. And you felt this is a team that's been put together by someone 
looking at uh, stats from 2012 and thinking, yes, this guy, uh, I love him uh, and this guy as well. But I think Pellegrini has done actually a, a better job that perhaps he's been given credit for. And they've been much more solid and uh, and pretty effective. But City have a habit of taking these sort of middling teams, shall we say, apart because teams who are not very good at one specific thing but kind of okay at everything else, they are the first ones to come un- unstuck. I might not be able to back this up with stats, but just in terms of sort of my um, my memory is that, you know... Feelings are more important than, than actual facts Absolutely, James. I think cities sometimes struggle more against teams who are really defensively well-drilled. Mm. When you have a team like West Ham who sort of kind of don't really have a recognisable style and just rely on one or two players doing something pretty special um, against opposition of, of similar calibre, then I think it'll be... It could be quite one-sided. City again. had that 44-pass move for one of their goals last time. If you're a fan of passing stats, the goal.com had this. The average number of passes in the build-up to goals this season is 3.44, which is the highest it's ever been. And to give you some perspective on that, that's roughly 50% more on what the average was in the mid noughties It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but are we surprised? I mean, if, if you watch mid naughty stuff... Mm. Um, it's naughty. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit more was it? direct and right. uh, agricultural yeah. and uh, pitches are better players are better mm. more foreign managers and you could say you know with, with Jumping Sari, the queue yeah yeah absolutely with Sari Emery and uh, certain Pep Guardiola here this has never been more possession orientated so just maybe just City by themselves doing mm. enough to put the overall average up by a couple of notches. All right, well, let's talk about the man who's interrupting Pep's reading habits at the moment. Pep Guardiola this week commenting, I love books, I love reading, but I can't read at the moment. Every time I pick up a book, I just start thinking, Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool. And he he just can't read, he can't focus. I should really send him my book on Jurgen Klopp. Then he can... That would be perfect. Kill two birds with one stone. What's it called again, Rafa? It's called Bring the Noise. There you go, Pep. Speak in China. Ooh, ooh. Uh, unlike <laughs> ooh, unlike Das Reboot, yes. Oh yes. So that's, so yeah, Chinese publishing news, Rafa. You got a letter from the, the publishers the other day. I got a letter from the government. Yeah. <laughs> you opened Reddit said following Germany's disastrous performance at the World Cup, we're not gonna publish your book in China. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Damn. Yeah. I mean they unfortunately they they've taken too too long to get the book out. Right. And now they decided, you know what, we can no longer pretend that Germany are really good at football. But um, we'll just have to wait. I mean, they still have the rights. They paid for the advance, so they can still change their mind again after uh, a more successful Euro 2020. Fingers crossed, Rafa. Anyway, I was going to talk about Liverpool. They're facing you a lot, Emma. They are. Watford, you're seventh. You've already written them off. You've already talked about Liverpool opening up a bigger gap. They are seventh, yeah. You've got to look at the positives Halfway to safety. They always score three goals against Liverpool. Well, that's that's one thing. Is that true? I'm not a betting lady, but this fixture does tend to throw up a lot of goals. Okay, so it was 3-3 when Liverpool last visited, but I'm not sure that they, they don't do 3-3s this year. No, I was about to say, this was the Liverpool that couldn't defend. Right. Unfortunately, they can now. Um, so Watford might struggle a little bit more than they did last season at Vicarage Road. And uh, any Watford fans listening don't need reminding. 
how the Hornets usually perform in the reverse fixture at right. Anfield. Well, last season it was 5-0. Yeah, and a 6-1 the season before oh, that. Oh, no way, really? Yeah. But so, this one luckily um, is at Vicarage Road. Fortunately, yes. Fortunately. And in the, the first season that Watford returned to the Premier League, they won. They beat, they beat Liverpool 3-0. Really? Again, these were the days when Liverpool couldn't really defend. Uh-huh. Um, and, and sadly, it seems as if they can now. But there's lots of positives to be taken from being a Watford fan at the moment this week. Javi Gracia looks as if there's a new contract on the table for him. Oh, yes. Gracias. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm sure indeed he's very grateful for that. Not a single one of Watford's last eight managers has managed uh, more than 38 games in charge. Really? And how many has he had? He's so on far? 29 at the moment. Ooh. So, yeah, just as we're sort of teetering towards that record, new right. contracts on the table. Yeah. So hopefully things do continue for him in You've the right direction. You've got Ben Foster, who's one of the signings of the summer. Yes. Could be busy this, this weekend. He, yes, could be busy this weekend. So that, that confirmation of that contract was um, was brought up last night in a fans forum, uh-huh. where it was also confirmed Watford will be changing their badge in 2020. Really? So known as the Hornets, um, of course, as Harry the Hornets done a very good job of um, making that very much a global brand. Yeah. Um, but it's all to do with aiding the growth of the club internationally, apparently. At the moment, as you know, well, I'll ask you, what is on the Watford badge? It's the stag. Is it a stag or is it a moose or is it an elk or is it a heart? Oh, wow, OK. Officially, it's a heart. Is it? Um, but apparently the idea is maybe uh, to bring it more in line with this, the idea that we're the Hornets. Well, yeah, if your name is the Hornets, I'm figuring yeah. that it's it's a little bit... Off message, having a you know some sort of antlered beast there. Yeah. The Hornet business though was entirely arbitrary, wasn't that? Wasn't that the kind of a local competition to, to name the mascot? It's, I think it's purely the fact that they play in yellow and black. Is that is what where it, it came is? from? Yeah, but apparently anybody in the world will be able to submit a design oh, really? for the new badge. And what do we win? Oh, wow. You win the fact that they'll be wearing your design on their shirt in the well, Premier so League week we in, week design out. Work for free. <laughs> One point licensing. Yeah. Yeah, must be. Where yeah. do we send our designs in? Well, they're, they're saying so it's this, 20, 2020 got... they'll be looking at this. You've got 18 months or so to be thinking about yeah. it. And so it's basically just a completely fresh, clean sheet. Apparently so, yeah. Completely blank canvas, yes. a new logo for Watford. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also some exciting Could news. Could it just be Elton John? <laughs> Elton John? Yeah. Worked for John Lewis. Mm. Great have advert. him there. Yeah. And actually, that all with the revolving door. All his movie stuff will be out the way by then. Exactly. So it, perhaps it could be a new project for Elton John. Brilliant! Whoa, yeah. oh, that's fantastic. Anyway, sorry, Emma, you were saying. Um, also, some exciting news that's emerged uh, from Vicarage Road over the last twenty-four hours. Mm-hmm. Adalberto Peñaranda. I think I'm saying that correctly. Mm-hmm. He has signed a new five-year deal. Some people might be thinking a new five-year deal. Right. Uh, we didn't know uh, this young man was a Watford player. He's 21 years old, um, a forward that's been with Watford, I think, since 2016. Uh-huh. Um, but there's been some issues with his work permit. Ah. Um, apparently, they have now Brexit. all gone through. Yes. I'm not, I'm not sure whether that played a part, but there we go. And what was the exciting news? Uh, that he, he signed a new deal and now he's eligible to play for Watford. So whether he'll feature against Liverpool, uh, I'm not sure. But this is a man uh, that's broken uh, records that Lionel Messi originally set in really? La Liga. Yeah. For what? Apparently he became uh, the youngest ever foreign player to score a brace in La Liga when he was playing for Granada. So exciting things to come, hopefully, um, okay. for this young man. And like Can I said... Yes, I think those fantasy football fans out there, you certainly want to watch for the future, but I'm, I'm not sure whether he'll feature as early this as this weekend. I seem to remember him playing for Udinese as well. Okay, well, really? yeah, he's oh, one of these. That's a funny coincidence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he had a very electric haircut. <laughs>
Yeah, it's like a sort of. I think it's still yeah. It, platinum kind of. Yeah. All right. How did he do for Udinese? Um. Yeah. Okay. I think it was. I mean, as as Emma's mentioned, he was very young. Right. Um, and it's been a quite dysfunctional club, Udinese, yeah. over the last few years. One more thing I'd say, and what I think Emma might be able to disagree or correct me, but they seem to me like a, a team that can always create chances against any side. But then it, if they don't take them, yes, they tend to lose the game. You've nailed it there. Wasteful Watford uh, was one of the headlines off the back of the Southampton match. They create a lot, you're, you're totally right there, but don't always uh, finish so well. Uh, but against Liverpool, they're certainly going to have to take their chances this weekend. Introducing Paddy Power's Beat the Drop. We're giving every customer 30 days free entry and a grand up front. It's up to you to keep it. All you have to do is answer 10 questions correctly. Play now at beatthedrop.paddypower.com. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Happy Thanksgiving, listener, and the Totally Football Show American edition has the Thanksgiving pod special that you're looking for while you baste your turkey. Uh, they'll be discussing, amongst other things, uh, US men's national team that got a bit stuffed themselves, of course, uh, in recently. Genk. In yeah. Genk by uh, Italy and previously uh, by England. Uh, mm-hmm. Kobe Jones and the team will be running all that and all that MLS playoff talk too. Excellent. That's the Totally Football Show American edition. Now, Premier League, meanwhile, down the other end, seven teams with the etc. Fulham Saints, this is what we want to talk about. Fulham, so many exciting elements to this game. One side can't score goals. The other one can't stop teams scoring goals. Fulham lose to teams that can't score goals. Remember oh, Huddersfield Cardiff as well. and Cardiff, oh, yeah. yeah. So, But that was pre-Ranieri. Yeah, Claudio's had two Claudio. weeks to work on this defence. And that was away from home as well, no? Those two games? Yeah, yeah. and this is at, uh, you know. at the Fortress, Fortress uh, Cottage. Uh, so Claudio Ranieri coming in, and I, I'm very, very excited. Is uh, Shirley and, and Mitro the new Mares Vardy, Rafa? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? Um, I love it, I love it. <laughs> Mm, okay, I think then. a little bit different. Uh, well, Mitrovic, Mitrovic is a bit of a different type of player. His first six Premier League appearances for Fulham, he had twelve shots on target and five goals. The six subsequent games, only two on target, no goals whatsoever. Do you think Ranieri can relight Alexander's fire? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he does. I mean, if you want to play counter attack, I think Mitrovic is probably not your your player. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because he is. He can hold up the ball for you, but he is best in the box. He okay. needs um, people putting crosses in. Um, I think Fulham started a season playing 4-3-3, and he had a lot of support. And now I think recently they've become more defensive, and he's a little bit by up by himself sometimes with Schürrle behind him. Right. And it's much harder, I think. It's been much harder for him to to get any service or to get any support. So, Would the likes of Sessegnon or Seri be uh, more useful in that? Uh, I mean, Seri is. I think Seri is a is a defensive midfielder. He can play box to box, but I don't really see him offering that much by way of um, attacking. I think Ranieri's instinct might be just to be really defensive Mm. and and just hope that somehow through Schürrle, through maybe Sessignon, the pace that they do have will expose what is a, a really really poor Southampton team, the worst Southampton team in. I don't know, in a decade. Um, and uh, it's a real six-pointer Wonderful as well. conversion rate Southampton have of, what, 4.6%, mm. you know. 
that's really going guns, that is. Absolutely. Such an exciting start for Claudio Ranieri. Fans and narrative will enjoy this. Chelsea, after Southampton, his former side. Then Leicester, where he also had a spell, successful one. And then Man United, helmed, of course, by Jose Mourinho. Mm, his his great protector. Mm, absolutely. The thing about this one for, for Fulham as well is, should they win? Mm. Suddenly things don't look that bad. If you look at the Premier League table... Um, Three points would put them on the same level as Crystal Palace, as Southampton, as Cardiff City. And obviously the goal difference certainly needs addressing. Um, but at this stage, just looking How at How many it, goals would they need to score this weekend <laughs> to be above About 28. No, seriously, um, <laughs> would it be? How many would it be to be above them on goal Well, the, their goal difference is minus 20. And uh, Cardiff City and Southampton, who are both on eight points, are minus 13 and minus 14. So... You know, if, if Fulham can come up trumps and put six or seven past Southampton this weekend, things won't look so bad, I don't That'd think. Be brilliant. Can you imagine if they're sort of like four up or something and the, <laughs> yeah. the cottage crowd gets behind But the interesting them. thing is, I think, that if Ranieri does have any sort of success, then almost immediately I think we'll see more managerial changes mm. because everyone is going to think um, this is really tight, this is still doable, no team has become already relegated everyone is in the mix of of the seven teams you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier mm-hmm. um so we need to do something to create that bounce so i think that's why for mark hughes it's such a big game because i think he might well be gone well on that very one. note here's aid reynolds saying what's the word for when you really want rid of mark hughes but are really nervous that big sam is looking for a job <laughs> <laughs> Hughes hanging on in. There's three wins in the last 20. They don't score. They don't defend particularly much. And worryingly for Saints, uh, Danny Ings, uh, Shane Long and Lamin are all out, or in doubt at least for this game. Mm-hmm. There is big Gabbiadini, of course, you know, who, uh, <laughs> who unfortunately has not been able to rediscover the form that, uh, that made him such a great signing. It mm. feels like years ago, James. Doesn't it, though? Doesn't it? Poor Manolo. Yeah. He was great at Samp all those years ago. It was great at Southampton in that run to the yeah. League Cup final. Those last eight games of the season, though. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Southampton could well find themselves in the bottom three or even bottom of the pile. If, for example, Cardiff as well were to get a result. They are, though, away at Everton. Cardiff have won two of their last four. But surely that run ends here, away at Goodison Park, where Everton have got a fantastic record. I think they won their last three there. In general, they've only been beaten once in five and they did such a number on Chelsea last time out. Gilvey Sigurdsson should be back after being hurt in the Chelsea game and all that kind of thing. And Richarlison, he came on for Neymar in that Brazil game and scored. He's now got, he's got more goals for Everton than he did all season at Watford last time. Are you still laughing in in Hertfordshire about the 40 million you got for Richarlison? Uh... Yes, in the sense that it was actually around November, December time, this time last year, that Richarlison just dropped off. So we'll have to see how how long he can keep this up at Everton. Um, But it looks as if Everton should be able to keep their form up this weekend, certainly. Mm. As you said, they're pretty good at home. I think Cardiff have had a couple of quite encouraging wins recently. Um, But against Brighton and Fulham, you know, not the biggest victories. Uh, and their away record is awful. Uh, one point in five trips on the road, and they've conceded uh, 11 in that time. Indeed, Emma. Cardiff have scored fewer away goals than any other side in English league football this season. Wow. 
They also haven't beaten Everton at <laughs> Goodison Park in the league since 1956, James. Damn. Yeah. You outstatted that the, me. That the year you were born? What the hell is that? <laughs> what the hell is that? Damn. Huddersfield are at Wolves on Sunday afternoon and uh, Burnley are hosting Newcastle on Monday and other kind of teams down the bottom end news. Resurgent Newcastle, they've won two in a row. Burnley, meanwhile, plummeting. Um, I love a stat. No team, not even Fulham, has have allowed the opposition more shots on target than Burnley have this season. So Thank goodness for Joe Hart. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that could be a good game for Newcastle. I, I, I don't know. That Wolves game I mentioned, hosting Huddersfield, Wolves actually have had a rotten time of it. Like only one point from the last 12 available, but they did look impressive against Arsenal. Emma, you spent time in Wolverhampton this week in a tracksuit. I did. Is that what your notes say? Yes. Uh, yeah, I've had quite a bizarre few days, actually. Okay. Um, it was a, just briefly, it was a, a road show all to do with Sports Personality of the Year, which ah. is being uh, hosted from Birmingham in December. Uh, so we took it on the road, the trophy itself, along with a Premier League trophy uh, to a number of different primary schools in Birmingham, just spreading the message about what Sports Personality of the Year is and all the importance of being active and all that jazz. Yeah, could, I wish it had come by this way. I'm not clear on what spotty, as it is known, does. Is it a popularity contest? Is it who's been I mean, the most impressive? You've opened a can of worms. Yes, yeah. uh, it's it's different this year. So they they changed, changed it. Uh, normally, the um, the shortlist is available weeks, months in advance. Right. Um, but they're announcing it on the night. Oh. Yes, oh. and I'm, I my understanding is it's a lot smaller as well. Oh. Um, there's nowhere near as many names on it. It's got to be Gareth, though, hasn't it? Um, Gareth Southgate <sighs> nailed on. Surely. Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd, says, th- yeah. you'd think yeah. that there'd be. I think. England's World Cup campaign will certainly play a big part in the night. But, yeah, it was quite a bizarre few days because we were doing all this and it was all about encouraging, um, telling them about Spotty and encouraging them to move. And we had a number of guests over the few days uh, from local football clubs. Mm-hmm. So on the second day, we were jumping around one of these school halls doing times tables with John Ruddy, mm. yeah, which was quite interesting. And then uh, yesterday, we were doing an assembly with Stylian Petrov. Where's John Ruddy now, then? He's still at Wolves. Okay. I didn't know he was there. <laughs> yeah. The former Norwich keeper. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he played a big part in the promotion, didn't he? But ever since then, he's not really featured. I think he's had two two appearances. This is um, all news to me, Emma, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. No, he's still going strong. All right. But any Wolves fans listening to this, yes. he's still very much at the club. Um, and when he's not training, he's learning his times tables with the local school children. Very nice. That's nice. <laughs> Keeping wolves in the division, uh, something like that. Anyway, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> quite add up. A multiplier effect. Yeah. Yep. All right. Excellent. Let's discuss then plucky top four hopefuls, Arsenal and Man United, after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Arsenal at Bournemouth in 90 minutes of niceness, which starts Sunday at 1.30. Cherries won this 2-1 in January. Ooh, and Arsenal are an interesting run of form. They've had three draws in a row. They might have problems up front as well because Aubameyang came back from Gabon with a back injury. Lacazette pulled out of the French squad and, of course, Danny Welbeck is not an option. So, hmm, not sure what that means. Mesut Ozil, false nine? Perhaps. Uh, possibly. I mean, Bournemouth are, have completely, I think, um, managed to avoid being the story somehow, but they're actually 
the surprise team in many ways of this uh, Premier League. We we don't even take notice anymore the fact that they are sitting a couple of points off the Europa League places. I mean, just everyone just kind of takes it for granted that they're doing so well. But relative to the budget, relative to the size of the club, it's just unbelievable what they what they're doing. Um, and in Callum Wilson, mm. they have now a real exciting, recognisable goal scorer. Absolutely. So. Brian Fraser, be, one of the finest wingers in the league. Yeah, I think it'd be a difficult, difficult game for Arsenal, especially with the entire team virtually having been on international duty. Wilson scored in all three of his games against Arsenal. He yes. loves scoring against the Gunners. Damn! Did of you course, get that, Emma? I was about to say, of course, Unai Emery has a lot of pressure on his shoulders ahead of this one, having been told to clarify that they must reach the top four this season. Is, is that now in? That's that's official now. Yeah. Who's told him that? So he's he's. I think he said earlier this week that the board have made it clear that's what's expected. But right. I'm not really sure why this is a news story because didn't they Slow take week, all that time getting rid of Arsene Wenger to bring in the, a manager that were challenging the top? Well, four? yeah, but you might assume that a transition year, rebuilding, etc. That yes. the remit was a bit looser. Yeah. Arsenal though will be up to fourth if they do win this game at the Vitality, and, and Spurs lose, which could easily happen because they're facing Chelsea, as we mentioned, at Wembley, and then they face Spurs, as you mentioned, Rafa, mm. next weekend. Hey, Rafa, can we look forward to Aaron Ramsey partnering uh, Renato Sanchez in the Bayern Munich midfield next season? I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure uh, that this is uh, coming to pass. Um, it is true that Bayern are looking to change the team. It is true that they are in the market for lots of players. If they can avoid paying a fee, they've shown themselves very adept at getting those kind of deals done in recent years, getting Goretzka for free, getting Lewandowski for free. I am just not sure that demand for um, an Aaron Ramsey type of player is that acute at the moment. They, it might just be an opportunistic move. Um but I should stress that in Munich, uh, which is famously leaky when it comes to sort of these transfer stories, we've not really have seen that name mentioned at all oh. uh, before <laughs> or since uh, the news broke in England that a decision or sorry, uh, an agreement is imminent or has been made. So I'd still treat this story with a bit of caution. Guess that means he's going to Juve instead <laughs> then. Is that right, James? <laughs> Look, I think with this story, um, Juve are so attentive to players' contracts running out, the opportunity to get free transfers. It's it's what they really rebuilt themselves on in the last seven or eight years. Um, but I am a little bit dubious about okay. that as well. I'm sorry, James. Uh, Granite Shaka, by contrast, who um, has been regarded... The Arsenal fans, I think, have taken a dim view of him. But last couple of games, a couple of great goals, he's been looking a lot better. Is this more the Granit Xhaka that you knew in the Bundesliga? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Emery didn't do him much favours playing him as a left-back uh, for a couple of games. I think that really was not too um, towards his strengths. But being reinstalled in a midfield, in a midfield that overall looks much better with Guendouzi and, uh, and Torreira... Um, providing support for the back four has has brought out the best of him and he is a very useful player. I don't think we ever saw the real Granit Xhaka as it were. We we saw a player I think he was really lost in this Arsenal team with very little direction and no cohesion and balance uh, under Arsene Wenger and uh, I'm not surprised that he's thriving under a much more detailed coaching regime you know, hours and hours of video analysis, all the kind of stuff 
that initially saw him break through uh, under Lucien Favre at Borussia Mönchengladbach, who would do these things, famously stopping coaching to move Shaka one meter across uh, on the pitch, saying, you know, you're just in the wrong position here, move one meter to the left. <laughs> um, and also now telling players at Dortmund that they uh, need to make sure the position of their wrist is in line um, with their feet when it comes to controlling the ball. I mean, details... So, hang on, the, the, the wrist or, or the, the whole... The wrist, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, how, why is that? You'd have to ask Lucien Favre, but um, he's obviously recognised or seen that um, having the right position of your arms, including your hands, makes it easier to control the ball somewhere or the other. Right. I asked Axel Witzel about this, and he uh -huh. said, well, initially you hear these kind of stuff and you think this is completely ridiculous, but then after a while you see, oh, it does make a difference, okay. Oh, we'll it, it, it's all connected, isn't it? I mean, in Italy, for example, the way you chew your food is seen as hugely. I remember when uh, who was it who didn't get signed by Milan because because he failed his dentist report. That was Ali Sissoko. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They, I, I think uh, they also solved Beckham's back problem by um, filling in a hole in his teeth. Now. There you go. Yeah. So it's a very holistic. It's a holist yeah. Yeah. holistic. Sorry, James. Yeah, no, not at all. Right. Uh, sorry. Uh, anyway, so well, that's nice about yeah. Granite Xhaka. United are going to be taking on Crystal Palace Saturday at three o'clock, December nineteen eighty nine. Ever you won't remember it, but Palace fans probably will. A wind of change was blowing through, it, wasn't it? Though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were the days. Yeah, your balalaika was singing. Mine too. <laughs> Anyway, and amongst other things, mm. <laughs> while the demo squad was making its way down to Gorky Park, Mark Bright was scoring a brace against Man United at Old Trafford. Mm. It was a 2-1 win for Palace, Emma. What's remarkable is, as you probably know, student of the game that you are, Palace have since lost their last 11 league visits. Yes, they've never, ever beaten Manchester United in the Premier League. And I'm right. not sure I can see that changing this what? weekend. Hmm. Uh, United back at home this weekend for the first time since October the 28th. So it's been quite a while. They've been um, away at Juve, uh, Man City and Bournemouth. Hmm. Palace without a win in their last seven they're just one point above the relegation zone. And they don't have Zaha either, or do and they? And they don't. Although I'm not sure these days whether the Zaha fact is even a thing. It seems they can't win with or, with or without him. So mm -hmm. um, Is that 1989? <laughs> Actually, that's 87. Was Joshua, it 87? Joshua yeah. Tree. Yeah. Oh. I think <laughs> Jose Mourinho I think has the chance this weekend to fully put that wobble, if you like it, uh, the start of the season behind him. Okay. Uh, if you look with Watford playing Liverpool um, and Bournemouth playing Arsenal, um, then in yeah. theory there could be points dropped there, which would mean if Man United did win, they would be in the top six. Really? That really puts things in perspective, actually, though, doesn't it? They when, need results. When you look at they need results from Watford in. and Bournemouth to, uh, yeah. Yeah, to creep back into the top six. And they got Pogba. With, with, there's some doubt over his fitness. Martial, yeah. Rashford, Lukaku. Sanchez's legs get cold. Did you see that? I didn't see that. What happened there? This was in uh, United We, uh, we Stand, the, the fanzine. Apparently, he'd oh. asked the, the fridge in the dressing room to be moved um, because it was... It was freezing his legs, um, and that was, you know, clearly having an impact on those performances. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's been taken care of, so maybe that'll have an impact. Here's a stat for you. Do you know that Man United have trailed for 395 minutes in the Premier League this season? Only Fulham, Cardiff and Huddersfield, a.k.a. the bottom three, have done worse. Good Lord, they've been behind 
for more than any other club apart from the, the, the three relegation. That's a great stat, James. Thank you. Wow, so, so Man United for the top six, Emma? Yes, it does look that way. Wow. Uh, it looks as if order may be restored. Um, when you look at the table, I think Man United can't really afford to slip up again, can they? And this, can would, be, this would be a massive slip up against Crystal Palace. <sighs> I think, yeah. it's, I think it's safe to say There's, United should have this one in the back. There's so much drama, isn't there, all over the Premier League this weekend. The other match uh, taking place on Saturday at three o'clock is Brighton against Leicester. Did you know that Leicester have won every single game they've ever played against Brighton in the Premier League? Two of them last season. <laughs> they won both of them 2-0. Leicester currently 10th. They're only three points ahead of Brighton, who might have Pascal Gross back. So that's nice. Yeah, Brighton got quite a few injuries uh, mm. I think having to put together quite a makeshift uh, midfield so uh, but they have been very good at the Amex must must be said so you know we do know that Leicester uh, a bit of a bogey team for them but and also I think tragedies that sort of involve clubs do often galvanize, galvanize and, and we saw it with Fiorentina after their story um, tragedy last year and um, I think you know I mean with Leicester I think this is this is something that gives a renewed purpose to uh, to this season I think the noise two weeks ago as Boca Juniors hosted River Plate the first leg of the Copa Libertadores the biggest match in Argentine football ever and now here comes the, the next one this Saturday evening the return at the Monumental it's going to be a big one where can you watch it James? Well you've got a lot of choice James ah. you, can, you can watch it on Free Sport yes. or BT Sport 2 Bingo Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Germany which you can also watch on BT Sport Mm-hmm. Uh, this weekend, you've got Mainz hosting Dortmund, who are seven points ahead of Bayern Munich. Yeah. Alex asks, um, question to Rafa, out of all of Borussia Dortmund's youngsters, who has impressed you the most this season? Oh, it's tough to look past Jaden Sancho. He's yeah. been um, really a revelation because, of course, it's already his second season, but in his first six months there, he'd been very inconsistent. Uh, looking good one moment, looking very, very raw and... Um, yeah, kind of inefficient in, in others. Um, so he's been, yeah, he's been outstanding. Uh, but even Jakob Brun Larsen has been good. I mean, you can go through the whole list and they've all been um, big factors in, in Dortmund doing so well. But he, I think, individually has been the most exciting young player. Since German car makers have failed to ride to our rescue over the whole, you know, shenanigans, will German clubs be instead clamouring for a, a good, you know, because of their concern that if... It happens in March, that thing. Mm -hmm. They won't be able to... The young English players won't be allowed. Freedom of movement. Oh, no, we'll that. still allow them in because we don't have any um, restrictions on foreigners I believe at all. that there's a FIFA regulation that stops players moving. Un underage players, yes. Right, but under which age? I think um, under... Might be under 17... Yeah. Oh, well, let's move on from that. And I'll ask you another question yeah. then about another exciting youngster who's just started training with Bayern Munich. Alfonso Davis. Yeah. The Fonz. Exactly, yeah. He, um, he, I mean, yeah. He's he looks very exciting. Very and, much so. um, Bayern, of course, uh, famously or infamously need pace and youth on the flanks, um, trying to uh, move beyond the era of Ribéry and Robin. 
Um, he won't be a- eligible before the um, second half of the season, but he started training and he has uh, electric pace. Mm. Um, it'd be really, really exciting to see if he can be the heir that they've been looking for so long. Kingsley Coman might have been in that position if he hadn't tragically been injured so early on in the season. And, uh, he's only just coming back to full training. But it could be very, it could be a very different Bayern team with those two guys lining up on the flanks by the time the knockout stages in the Champions League uh, comes round. What little I've seen of Davis, he does look uh, absolutely blissful. I mean, he stands out even, you know, amongst the, the many exciting youngsters uh, playing for Vancouver Whitecaps. He made his debut in MLS, age fifteen years, eight months and fifteen days. He's already he's eighteen now. He's already had eight caps for Canada. And people will say, well, it's MLS and, and Canada. Yeah, well, but. the last MLS import didn't work out so well for Bayern. Which one was uh, that? That was Landon Donovan. Oh, right. But of course, Pulisic, he's done pretty well for uh, for Borussia Dortmund and continues to do so. He was born in a Ghanaian refugee camp where his parents were after they fled the civil war in Liberia. Alfonso Davis moved to Canada when he was five. Mm, excellent. Well, still to come on this exciting edition of the Totally Football Show, we've got more um, unexpected cameos from footballing folk in films, rock, paper, scissors, the science, mm-hmm. and perhaps more importantly, more international news, all after this. France. French football, Emma. Friday night fun. Ahoy. With the Rhone derby as inform Lyon hosts Saint-Étienne. They're fourth and fifth, you know, only one point apart. Thierry Henry. Is he still looking for his first win with Monaco? Yes, he is. Will he get it this weekend as Monaco take on Carr, who are in almost as poor form? Will he, James? No. Okay, Lille are at Nice. That's a big game. PSG play to lose, like a mid-table Italian side on the last day of the season. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. No, they're playing a team called to lose, but they've got big injury problems, haven't they? Yeah, Mbappe and, and Neymar both yeah. got injured in in midweek, didn't they? Yeah, so Neymar picked up a groin strain in the one 0 win over Cameroon in Milton Keynes. Yeah, he went off. Richarlison came on. He scored. Yada yada yada. Apparently he might be bad, but that Mbappe thing—did you see? It looked—it looked—it looked almost Salah-esque. It bad, yeah. But the initial report is that it's only a bruise. Oh, really? And it's that he's the more likely to feature. Oh. Yeah. And you say Salah-esque, James? Yeah. Of course, playing Liverpool in the Champions League <sighs> in a crucial game That's at so the Parc des Princes. And they might. Who would they have up front if those two don't play? I mean, they've still got Cavani. Yeah. Cavani. <laughs> yeah. People making yeah. jokes about Chuba Moting, but they've got like, they've got Draxler, they've got Di Maria, Di Maria they've yeah. got Cavani. So Timothy think- Weir. Timothy Weir. Yeah. Mm. All right. In Italy, Genoa playing Sampdoria in what will be an emotional uh, derby of the lantern. Mm-hmm. Mm. And those two teams, not in the best of form, only one point between them as well, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think, what, 12th and 14th in yep. the league. Samp started the season, well, both started the season very well. Genoa on the back of Piontek's goals, Samp because they're Samp under Marco Giampaolo. I got some very good young players, um, including England on the twenty-one international Ronaldo Vieira, wonderfully named player. Um, so yeah, should be. I think this will be quite a tense game. Yeah, just because of as you mentioned, it's played in the backdrop is the the Genoa Bridge tragedy in, back in August. Um, both managers think Juric more than uh, Giampaolo under pressure. Because Genoa have only fired one manager so far this season. Yes, yeah, they're due. They're due another one. Mm. And and Juric did get sacked this time last year after the Genoa derby. Oh. So, yeah, Giampaolo said when they play cagey these games, they tend to lose. So he's going to play con viso aperto. He's right. going to play it open. 
and uh, yeah, should be good. I yeah, think. I mean the atmosphere should be spectacular. Absolutely. All right, uh, and just before that, actually, you got Lazio playing Milan. They're fourth and fifth right now, battling for Champions League places. That'll be huge. Mm-hmm. We'll have more of this kind of chat in Golazzo, which is available right now, listener. After you finish listening to this, get on that Golazzo thing and hear us express our our heartfelt love for Luca Toni. Yeah. Spain. Oh my word! Saturday night at the Wanda Metropolitano. Do you know what's going on there? Uh, certain Atletico Madrid are playing Barcelona in yes. a top-of-the-table clash. Exactly. There's only a point between them. There's only a point between Barcelona and Sevilla, Atletico and Deportivo Alaves. But they can only play one of them, and it's Atletico. Yeah, that's true. High Liga. Yeah. High Liga. Heidi High. Simeone had a mini-break, Emma, this week in London. He was with his girlfriend. They visited Portobello Road and Nottingham, which is not in London. <laughs> Notting Hill, maybe. I think it's Notting Hill. Yeah. I think that might be not correct. Was this a trip organised yeah. by the KGB? Or... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh, and also he wore no socks. In this weather? I know. What? Actually, He's shout so out to Graham hard, Alexander, the Salford manager, uh-huh. who while we were wrapped up and very, very multi-layered at uh, Moore Lane on Wednesday night for the FA Cup replay mm. between them and Shrewsbury, which ended 3-1 to the Shrews. He wore just a pair of trousers and a kind of a thin woolen kind of John Smedley-esque top. It's the adrenaline, though. Keeps, I reckon he, nice had a, he was doing a lot of shouting. A lot of shouting. And I think that's, I wondered if, as well, it's a little bit of a message to the players, like, I am nails. He does look nails, to be fair. Uh, anyway, um, they're flying high in the National League, of course. Atleti providing Barcelona with some competition right now. And speaking of which, we've got a competition featuring Barcelona. How oh, about yeah. that? The new excellent documentary, Take the Ball, Pass the Ball. We have copies, three of them, of, the, of that documentary. It was five, James. It says three here, Rafa. You've taken already two. Um, anyway, it's all about the story of Pep's four seasons at Camp Nou when they won 14 trophies. To win, we want you to tell us the worst player to have played for Barcelona and why. Mm. What would your entry be, James? Uh, I've sprung that on Well, yet. from the Guardiola era, yep. you can no. say some of their signings. Yeah. Kuczynski. Kerison. Chigrinski. Chigrinski. How do you enter? Well... Uh, you can either do it on Twitter, at The Totally Show, or Facebook, or Instagram, which is at Totally Football Show. Sorry, I called it Instagram. It's, it's The Gram, sorry. <laughs> we'll pick the three winners at 2pm GMT on Friday the 23rd of November. That's soon. All right, now, some exciting uh, tweets from, from you, listener. Well, if you're Neil Allen... Uh, who writes in saying, any chance for mention for Connors Keen Nomads from North Wales, who are in the semi-finals of, Rafa, the Scottish Challenge Cup, which is interesting because with Bohemians from Ireland also in the, the quarters, there's potentially not going to be a Scottish team in the final. Dars asked Neil, that make this competition a success or a failure? Interesting philosophical question. Mm. Thanks for raising that one. Benjamin Yeo says, I would argue that Children of Men is the perfect dystopian film of our time. And Jose Mourinho is the perfect manager to lead a dystopian football team. But who are the perfect dystopian players? Fellaini seems like a shoe in I can't believe that. It takes us, uh, it's a can of worms, that. We haven't got time to answer that. Bularus, the cannibal. He, he comes to mind. Okay. Remember him? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah. So Chelsea. Bularus. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Nicknamed okay. the cannibal. He wasn't literally a cannibal. No. Well, as far as we know, anyway. Uh, movie cameos. Emma, have you been watching movies and all of a sudden a footballing figure has popped up and you've, you've had a kind of um, moment of cognitive dissonance? 
What did it. I watch recently? I, I literally don't know. Basic Instinct 2 with well, Stan Collymore. Stan Collymore. Mm. Yeah, it was something like Digitally that. Digitally inserted into that. Yeah. In a very real sense. <laughs> no, do, you know, do you know what I did see, actually? I went on a, fir- I went on a first aid course on Friday. Yeah. And uh, just as we were learning how to do CPR... Yes. Vinnie Jones popped up in the video from no the British way. Heart Foundation. Yeah. Playing football or just kind of in a... No, teaching people how to do um, CPR. Well, that's great. Oh, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Stuart Humphreys suggests that he saw Doris Vassell make a cameo in Hannibal. Really? Ah, apparently, according to the producer men who've seen the film, the security guards are watching a football match, so I think that oh, maybe he featured in the... That's cheating, Stuart. James Kennedy, when discussing footballers' movie cameos, could how could you forget Tony Cotty being ruthlessly dispatched by fictional Russian Russian terrorists in 2018's final score? I haven't seen it. Sorry, Jamie. Uh, Mr. Griffin on the subject of footballers in cinemas. This is great. Andres Iniesta dubbed the Albino Pirate in Spanish for Armand's The Pirates in an Adventure with Scientists. Mm. Robbie Swale. It's a big thread, this. <laughs> it's not Hollywood, but I'm sad not to hear any reminiscing... About Manu Petit making a star turn in the bill. Did this happen? Really? Peter King? Sol Campbell was in Snatch. You don't believe it, but it's true. And he even, he even screen grabbed the IMDb page. Uh-huh. Yeah. There you go. One of the best, and it's not a kind of weird pop-up because it's a film about football, but Ali McCoist in A Shot at Glory is really, really good. A mm. bit of a natural. Is that the Sean Bean movie? No, no. It's the one where Robert Duvall... Uh, does a lot of nah. He's a, come, <laughs> he's, he's a, a little bit see you, Jimmy. It, he right. plays this lower league Scottish manager okay. with quite literally a shot at glory. Huh. Um, and uh, there's the uh, in Italy. There's the uh, L'Allenatore nel Pallone, which has Ancelotti, Lead Home, Bruzzo, Ryan. I mean, practically anyone who's anyone. It's a Zico, leg- Zico's in. No there. way. Yeah. It's a legendary... It's Lino Banfi, that film, isn't yeah. it? I've never watched it, <laughs> nor do I ever want to. But, uh, yeah, legendary. Uh, time for us, before we get on to our rock, paper, scissors and really some surprising science in that, time for us to get some odds on football with producer Ben. He's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Good and tag listeners. I've got Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line as always. You don't want to skip this bit. It's a particularly good one this week because, Lee, the Premier League is returning and Spurs are playing Chelsea. It's a big one. Give us the overall on this and the first goalscorer market, please. Yeah, everyone's talking about a pre-team title race, but Spurs are only a point behind Chelsea. So if they beat Chelsea this weekend, we're down to a two-horse race, I think. Chelsea, the marginal favourites here at 8-5, to five, Tottenham 17-10 to 10, and the draws 23-10. to 10. As for the first goal scorer market, the usual suspects lead the way with Harry Kane top of the pile, of course, at 7-2. Or you can go for the tabloid special. Both Deli Alley and Ross Barkley to score any time is 21-1. And what about the money-back special that you've got? Yes, we love a money-back special. It's money-back as a free bet if a certain Harry Kane scores. That applies to losing first, last, anytime goal scores, correct score, and what odds Paddy markets. Max refund £10. You know the next bit. TNCs apply. All right, Saturday afternoon, Lee. Vicarage Road, Liverpool versus Watford. My first time at Vicarage Road. I'm going to enjoy this one. It was 3-3 last season. What's going to happen this time? Well, Liverpool haven't produced their heavy metal football of last season yet. So more like soft rock. Although arguably that probably tops more charts anyway. But probably not in the Premier League. And they're still the heavy favourites here. It's 1-2 they beat Watford. The hosts are a lengthy 5-1 to to win. And the draw is 10-3. to So Liverpool trying to keep pace with Man City, who are at the London Stadium, where they've got an absolutely stonking record, as we've been discussing. 
Uh, what are the chances, as I generally ask you about City games, of them getting four or more against West Ham? One day, Ben, I won't be surprised at how likely City are in goals and wins markets, but not today. They're just 12-5 to five to score four more goals against West Ham away from home. The Hammers, at their beloved home, are 11-1 to one to win a game of football. And finally, what about Bournemouth versus Arsenal? Well, it's the same price as City scoring four or more. Bournemouth are 12-5 to five to continue their good run of form and bury Arsenal, who have been ramping up the pressure on Emery this week. But it's still 10-11 his team gets the win and 11-4 to four it ends a draw, which is the bet I always fancy. You can find out those odds and more at paddypad.com where prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Which we'll be doing in a second after I mentioned that whole business of referee David McNamara who was suspended, of course, for three weeks for deciding a women's Super League kickoff with a game of rock, paper, scissors because he'd forgotten his coin. Which a lot of people, I think, saluted... This is you know, a fine example of thinking outside the box. The FA took a dim view of it. But according to Ref Support UK, which is a charity that offers support to around 28,000 referees in this country, hundreds of amateur refs have been showing their solidarity for McNamara by deliberately starting games with rock, paper, scissors over the last week or two. How about that? What do you think, James? Fantastic. Do it's you just... think it's OK to do rock, paper, scissors? Emma, what about you? I can see where the arguments come from, but I don't think he meant any offence. It was just in the moment what made sense. Can I you tell know, you? Go on. The, the FA were right. Because rock, paper, scissors, which you might think is equally as arbitrary as the toss of a coin, it's not. Because Duncan Alexander has crunched the numbers on rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> and I tell you what, let's just do a little experiment. Emma, would you be our guinea pig on this? Go on then. So what... What we'll do is we'll rock, paper, scissors with you. Okay. Yeah, and see what you do. And then I'll tell you the breakdown of choices in tournament, which is heavily skewed towards one of the outcomes. So, right. Are you ready? Okay. On three? Yeah. Okay. One, two, three. Oh, she went scissors. That's interesting. That's interesting because when people play rock, paper, scissors, in fact, let's just have one more round and everybody do it, okay? We'll see how you this is. You can't play it four ways. <laughs> no, no, but just to see. Oh, Rafa, I'm surprised you. But if we all see what we do, and then we'll... OK, you ready, everybody? One, two, three. OK, so we've got three papers and a rock. So I've got to tell you that when you break down people's rock, paper, scissors choices in tournament play, mm. and Duncan's done this for us, there's an overwhelming majority of 0.4% for rock. Paper is at 35%, so rock is 35.4%. Scissors is very much the niche choice 29.6. Apparently, says Duncan, this is all down to do with testosterone. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I guess there's something a bit more vulnerable about scissors. Feminine movement. Yeah, yeah. rock yeah, feels no, a bit more... Interesting you say that, Rafa, because scissors is the preferred choice of women. Right. Which might mean, actually, that in tournaments you have fewer women playing. I don't know what the breakdown is on that, how many women players there are of professional uh, rock, paper, scissors. But uh, one other detail, if you're ever playing this, only finesse players will go with the same choice for more than three turns in a row. So I guess that means that's the, that's the way to go. Finesse players. Finnish players. Oh, maybe it's Finnish players. We'll do what? Go for more than... Yeah, three? do the same thing more than three times see, in a I row. I did three different things there. Did you? Yeah. Huh. I thought rock, paper, scissors is what they used to edit the NME. <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore, you know. Is it not? Is it not even electronic? Oh, I think maybe they have an yeah. online, but it's not the same, is it? No. All right. 
Uh, we still need to mention a certain star chef. Oh, crikey. Yeah. What is the name, Rafa, of Heston Blumenthal's podcast? It is... Peas in a pod? I don't know. No, what it's not. It? It's That's a great shout, though. It's pod and chips. Pod and chips. Ah. And the reason that we're mentioning this, listeners, is because if we say the name, apparently we get a free meal at his restaurant. What's the restaurant called? We I think it's... Feast. It's Feast. Okay. You've eaten there, haven't you, Rafa? No. Oh. Well, yeah, We apparently we can. And I'm not sure if he mentions our podcast, what does he get in pod and chips? I mean, maybe he gets a copy of that book. Or, or you could cook him some, uh, an also I'll come round and, and do him my, my sardine spaghetti, the legendary one. Yeah. yeah. The deconstructed <laughs> sardine spaghetti. <laughs> anyway, listener, sorry, it's all gone a little bit self indulgent. So, um, but anyway, thanks ever so much for being with us. We will return with another Totally Football show on Monday. Uh, featuring that day will be Matt Davis Adams, Daniel Story, and Ian Irving. So that's nice. I hope you all have a nice weekend. Emma, have you got something nice lined up for after your haircut? Not much. Got anything planned this weekend? No, No. I'll just be um, getting myself ready for the arrival of Liverpool on Saturday at Vicarage Road. You'll be announcing that, won't you? I will, yes. Hopefully not too many Liverpool girls. I see. I see. James, you're off to Italy. I am indeed, James. On the Adjour. You celebrate Thanksgiving with some And Rafa, you're friends. literally going to the airport now to head, to go to where? Munich? To Munich. Munich. Lovely. Yep. You all have fun. Thank you, James. And you, listener. And we'll see you Monday. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.